0: Amen. Well, church, I just want to say, um, because I know Pastor won't say it, he's not feeling well. (laughs) Um, He came back from his trip with the cold and with the sore throat and some other junk um, in his head. (laughs) And uh, besides what was already there, I I didn't mean that way. But uh, that came out wrong, Pastor. I'm sorry. Yeah. So just pray for him that he feels better. I, I said, Pastor, we can we can handle it but obviously uh, he wants to be here he loves you he misses you but just continue to lift up our pastor this week that he feels better and that God touches him. Um, thank you so much for being here today. My name's Michael for those of you who don't know I'm one of the pastors on staff and it really is an honor and a privilege to be able to share with you this morning. And uh, I want to open up this this morning and just asking you a little bit of an odd question. How many of you are pet owners? Anyone in here a pet owner? Okay, several hands. How many of you own birds? Does anyone in here own birds? Okay, there's one hand, a couple of hands, I think. All right. Uh, Well, this story, you you guys might be able to relate to this, and this is part of the message, so it'll kind of lead us where we're going this morning. But there was a bird, and he was a parakeet by the name of Chippy, and Chippy loved his life. He swung on his little swing, and he ate his food, and he would sing, Um, and his his life was going great, and and he really didn't have to worry about anything until one day, um, his owner decided, I need to clean out Chippy's cage. It's getting a little messy. It's getting a little dirty, so we need to change out the newspapers, and we need to vacuum it out and clean it out, and so the owner goes... And she connects all of the hoses up and gets everything ready. And she's like, okay, Chippy, this is going to make a little bit of noise, but just brace yourself. It's going to be okay. We're going to have your, your whole cage cleaned out. And so she's vacuuming, and everything's going well until her phone rings. And she looks down to grab her phone, and she's not paying attention to where the hose is at until she hears the noise. <laughs> like that. And all of a sudden, she drops her phone and she rips open the bag, and, and Chippy's in there and he's covered in dirt and in muck. And, and she grabs Chippy and she runs over to the kitchen sink and she put, puts the water on full blast and she's rinsing Chippy off. But now, Chippy is shivering because it was cold water, and so she runs to the bathroom and gets her hair dryer. And, and she, she blow dries Chippy. And Chippy's okay. There were no animals hurt during the telling of the story, I promise. But Chippy's okay, but now he has a perm. And Chippy isn't singing anymore. He's not really dancing anymore. I mean, he's just kind of wide-eyed and wondering what in the world happened. I was supposed to have my cage clean, and it seems like my world got flipped upside down. And the reason I tell you that story this morning is because I think all of us, to a certain degree, at some point in time in our lives, we feel a little bit like Chippy. We, we were just singing and we were kind of minding our own business and we were going through life. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it seems like the life has literally gotten sucked out of you. And, and you weren't asking for it. You weren't even looking for it. You, you were just kind of minding your own business. And all of a sudden, something happens in your life, and you feel like you've been kind of rung through the ringer, so to speak, like Chippy. And if you're a Christian here this morning, at some point in time, you've probably prayed. You've probably prayed and you've asked God, God, would you help me in this situation? God, would you help me in this circumstance? God, you see what's going on with my kids, you see what's going on with my marriage, you see what's going on with my finances. God, would you, would you do something to help me? And all of us probably have prayed a prayer, something like that. And then it seems that at some point in time that God has been inattentive, uncooperative, or late. That God has been inattentive. God, are you even paying attention to me? He's uncooperative. That's not how I thought this was going to go. Or he's late in one of these circumstances. And so I just want you to participate, participate for one moment with me. If you've ever prayed a prayer and, and it's felt like God was inattentive, uncooperative, or late, could you just slip up your hand just for a moment, and can you keep it up? Now, look behind you. Look down your row. Keep your hands up just for a second. Look behind you. Look up in the balcony. Look at all the hands that are up. We, now, you can put them down, and, and the statement is true. Misery loves company. I mean, we could just pray and be done and go home today, and we'd beat everybody to lubies, Right? Because so many times in our life, don't you feel that way? God, I've prayed, and, and it seems like, God, you're working with everybody else. You're helping everybody else, God, but you're not helping me. Why not? What am I doing wrong? What, what, what's the problem, God? Why, why does it feel like you're inattentive, uncooperative or late with me, God? And, and people like me who, who do this for living preachers, they don't make this easy on you, do they? We get up here or you see your favorite person on television or on the Internet and they're preaching to you and they say, well, you've just got to have more faith or you've just got to believe or it's because of sin. And if you would just repent and come to the Lord, then and has anyone else ever heard that before. OK, so you guys know what I'm talking the Preachers like me, we don't make it easy on you and, and, and you think and you're wondering, God, it's still not working. Or you have your Christian friends, and they say silly, ridiculous things like this. I was at the mall the other day, and I was just circling around, and I didn't want to have to park way far away. And so I prayed to God, God, would you please give me a great, great parking spot right up here in the front? And, and, and they say, right when I said amen, the person backed out, and, and the sun shined right on my parking spot, and I just pulled right in. And you want to say really nicely, will you please shut your mouth? I mean, I'm praying about cancer. I'm praying about my kids that have, are prodigals. I'm praying about my job. I don't have insurance. I'm praying about my finances. I'm praying about my marriage that's holding on by a string. And you're praying for parking spaces? Are you kidding me? And then, on top of that, I mean, I can keep going down the list here. You work with people. And it seems like the people that you work with that don't believe in God, that don't trust God, that don't believe in Jesus, that don't believe in the Bible, that don't believe any of this stuff. They think it's a fairy tale or it's dated or it doesn't work. They say, why do you believe in that? What what are you doing? It seems like everything is going good for them. And you would never say this out loud, but in your mind, you're thinking, God, I'm a better person than them. I mean, I come to church on a regular basis. I even give money in the offering when it comes by. I mean, God, I, I even brought an Operation Christmas Child box up here. God, I mean, come on. Are you kidding me? Why is everything working for them and not for me? So if you have to leave early or if you get distracted on your phone this morning or something happens to where you're not, or you fall asleep, if any of those things happen this morning, I just kind of want to give you the bottom line of where we're going in this sermon this morning. And it's just simply this, when God, it feels like he's absent, when he's silent, he's made this promise, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Even when it feels like your world is crumbling apart, it is falling apart, God has promised, I'm the one who sticks closer than a brother. I'm the one who sees every tear, knows every argument, knows every bill that you have to pay, knows every situation and circumstance that you're walking through. I haven't forgotten about you. And so this morning, we're gonna look. We're gonna look at a man in the Bible, and it sure seemed like God was uncooperative. We're gonna look at a man in the Bible, and Jesus knew his name, but it sure seemed like God was inattentive. We're going to look at a man that Jesus said, you know what, he's one of the greatest men to ever live. But it sure seemed like God was late in his life. So if you have your Bibles this morning, if you want to turn to Mark chapter 6, and we're also going to be in Matthew chapter 11, those are the two places we're going to kind of be going back and forth. Mark chapter 6 and Matthew 11. If you don't have your Bibles, the verses will be up here on the screen here in a moment so you can follow along. But I just want to set up this story for us this morning. There was a king by the name of King Herod the Great, and he was anything but great. He was actually a great builder, but he wasn't a great king. In fact, King Herod the Great had three of his sons killed, two of his wives killed, and his mother-in-law killed. I mean, you might not like your mother-in-law, but he killed his own mother-in-law. I mean, come on. This, This was the king who you might know the story, and we're getting ready to go back into the Christmas season where this story is talked about a lot, in Luke chapter two, because he heard that there was a new king that had been born, he sent his whole soldiers, all of his army into Bethlehem and had every child two years old and younger killed. This was right in keeping with King Herod the Great, his character. In fact, the Roman Empire during King Herod's rule said it is better to be one of King Herod's swine than to be a family member of his. This is how Herod acted. On his deathbed, he said this, I want you to round up all of the leading citizens in the city and in the surrounding community and I want you to keep them imprisoned and on the day that I die, I want you to kill all of the leading citizens of our community because I want to make sure that there's weeping on the day that I die. This is the kind of king that King Herod was. Well, King Herod passes away, and just to let you know a little insight into history, the history books there, they actually let all of those leading citizens go, and there, were, there was great rejoicing on the day that King Herod actually died. That's a true story. I'm not making that up. But uh, on, after he passed, he had two sons that he hadn't killed, and, and one of their names was Herod Antipas. Now, Herod Antipas was the rightful king, and he's the one who took over the throne and and the palace and was the ruling authority during that time and the time of Jesus. That that was Herod Antipas. The other son's name was Philip, and Philip didn't get to be a leader or get to be a king or anything like that. He just kind of got a castle on the beachfront property, and he was married to a woman by the name of Herodias, Herodias. So there's Herod Antipas, he's the ruling king. I just want to make sure you're following along with me. He's the ruling king. Philip, he's the brother to Herod Antipas, but he's not ruling anywhere. And then Philip's wife, Herodias. So one day, Herod Antipas invites Philip and Herodias over for dinner and tea, and, and so they're hanging out, and, and Antipas works it out to where Philip is talking to some of his advisors, and he's, he's kind of got him distracted, and he goes over to Herodias, and Antipas says, Herodias, I love you. And she says, you know what? I love you too. And they run off together. And Philip is left there crying. And it's in all the tabloids. It's on Entertainment Tonight. Everybody's blogging about it. I mean, it's, it's huge. It's big, big news. And so Herodias and Antipas, they run away together. And this is kind of where our main character enters in this morning. His name was John the Baptist. And it was because he didn't like the Methodists or he was non-denominational. It it was because he baptized people. That was a denominational joke, never mind. Um, But he baptized people. He baptized them in water for the repentance of their sins, the Bible tells us. And Herodias and Antipas, they're living in sin. And so one day they're going down the street and they're with their entourage and and they're with all of their people. And it's this little parade that's going on through the community. And they hear over in the distance, Herodias, Herod, you're living in sin. You're living in sin. And John used this word, repent. He used this word, which means turn around. And and he was telling Herodias and, and Antipas, turn around from your sin. And, and John was the one who was sent in front of, of someone. He had a famous cousin. Do you guys remember John's famous cousin's name? Good job. This is a smart crowd. I, kn- I knew you guys were. Jesus. And, and John was sent to prepare the way for a man named Jesus. And w- one day while John's baptizing, in fact, John says this, hey, look over there. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of God. Of the world. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christ follower, if this is your first time in church in a long, long time, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. But back in the Jewish custom, they would sacrifice lambs all the way back with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They would sacrifice lamb for the forgiveness of their sins. They would bring an offering, their best of the best. They would bring it to God and they would sacrifice this lamb. And in doing that, the Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And so they would shed this innocent animal's blood and and somehow God would forgive them. And what John is saying when he points to Jesus and says, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, he's saying this isn't. Abraham's lamb. This isn't Isaac's lamb, Jacob, Moses, David, Solomon. This isn't any of their lamb. This is the lamb of God. And he doesn't just take away one person's sin. He actually takes away the sin of the entire world. It's Jesus. And so John's whole job was to point and to prepare the way for Jesus. In fact, some of the Pharisees and Sadducees came and said to John, are you the Messiah?" Are you the one Isaiah talked about and Joel talked about? Are you the one who is to come? And John said, no. I'm not even worthy enough to get down and untie the Messiah's feet, and untie his sandals around his feet. I'm not him. I'm just a voice saying, prepare the way. And so this is, this is John. This is, this is who we're getting ready to look at this morning. Isn't that a great story? All right, so let's look at it. Mark chapter 6 and beginning at verse number 17, this is what it says. It says, for Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, that's who we were just talking about a moment ago, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, hey, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and, and wanted him killed, but she was not able to, because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. And when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked listening to him. And so Herod would invite John in, and he would say, "Hey, John, preach your man. Preach to me." And John would say, "Well, Herod, you're living in sin." You're, you're, you have your brother's wife. And he's like, okay, well, don't tell me about that. Tell me something else. Tickle my ears, John. I, I want to hear you preach. I, I want you to hear, I hear you tell me about the one that is to come, the Messiah. Talk to me about him. And so John is in the dungeon. And John begins to hear about all that Jesus is doing. He's opening up blinded eyes, and, and he's feeding the 5,000. And he's doing these amazing, amazing things. And John is starting to feel left out. He's thinking to himself, you know what? If there was ever a good time for Jesus, Jesus to perform a miracle, it would be right now. If there was ever a great stage for Jesus to do something incredible, it would be right now. He could come and save his own cousin. I mean, John is thinking, God, I've done everything right I didn't take credit for anything. I've baptized everybody you told me to baptize. I preached against Herod and Herodias. God, I've done everything right, and now I'm in the dungeon. I'm in, I'm in trouble for doing the right thing. God, are you going to remember me? God, are you going to show me any love? And so one day, John's disciples, they come into the prison cell, and they, they bring him Chick-fil-A, Josh. They're bringing him Chick-fil-A and a change of clothes and... Uh, and they're bringing him some food, and, and he, he says to his disciples, hey, guys, can, can you do a favor for me? They're like, sure, John. What do you need? And they pull out their smartphones, and, and, and they're, they're taking notes. And, and so they say, hey, he says, can you guys, can you go to Jesus and, and ask him a question for me? Absolutely. I mean, John, the lines are going to be long. I mean, it's going to be crazy to try to get in, but whatever you need, John, we'll do it for you. And so he's like, what do you want us to ask him, John? Can, can you ask him if he's the one or if we should be waiting for somebody else? Hold on a second, John. I mean, uh, we were there when you pointed, remember that? You, you did this. You said, that's the lamb of God who takes away the sin. John, remember when you baptized him and the heavens opened up and we heard the voice say, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit came down like a dove. Remember that, John? And he's like, yeah. I know, but I'm rotting here in this dungeon and, and I'm wondering, is he really who he says he is? Or did I miss something? Did, did I make something up here? It, I mean, he, it feels like he forgot about me, guys. And church, isn't it amazing when circumstances happen in our life, whether good or bad, good circumstances or bad circumstances. And they begin to kind of equate or they navigate how we feel about Jesus and how we feel about God. I mean, remember when you first went away to college, okay? All of you who, you went away to college and it was the best eight years of your life, right? You were on the eight year program. It's the best eight years of your life. You were part of a sorority or fraternity, and, and you went there, and you were expecting everyone else to believe like what you believed. I mean, to go to church during Easter and Christmas and, and to go to church on Sundays, and you expected people to do exactly what you, you were doing, but, but no one acknowledged God. No one acknowledged Jesus. No, I mean, they kind of looked at you weird when you talked about it or, or when you opened your Bible in the dorm room. And, and so you put Jesus on the shelf for four years. And, and things seemed to go okay. I mean, those were, again, the best eight years of your life, right? And, and you put Jesus up on the shelf. Or remember when you, when you moved to Dallas-Fort Worth area and you got your first real job. You were actually making some decent money and you had health insurance and, and, and you were working and things were going great. And, and all of a sudden at work, it, you're inviting people to come to church with you, but no one else is Acknowledging God. No, no one else is following along. No one else is looking to follow Jesus or wanting to come to church. And, and they look at you weird and they're like, you really believe that stuff? And so you kind of, kind of just quietly, you, you shut down and you're like, man, it, their life seems to be going fine. So why am I doing all of this? Why do I go to church? Why, why do I give? Why do I serve? Does this even matter? Everything's working out for them. And not for me. Or or you feel a little bit like you're with John in the dungeon. And you haven't just lost one job, you've lost two jobs. And you're still not meaningfully employed yet. And your husband told you when you first got married that he was a Christian, but your marriage looks anything but Christian. Isn't it amazing that our feelings and our circumstances coincide with how we feel about God? I mean, let me just push a little bit more. I know I'm already pushing, and it's really, really quiet in here, um, but let me just push a little bit more. Whenever we hear of tragedies, like what happened this weekend in Paris, or down in Columbia, Missouri, or, or anywhere around the world, and there's crazy things that are happening all around the world, where people are suffering, where war is breaking out, what's happening in Syria, and and where children and orphans and families are being left without their parents and, and all of these things that are happening, we automatically and all of a sudden, we say, I'm gonna pray for them and everyone blows up social media, hashtag pray for Paris, and that's all great, and that's good, and that's fine, and I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, and, and that's wonderful, and that's good, okay? I'm not preaching against that. All I'm saying is this, we, when, when tragedy strikes someone else, we pray. When tragedy strikes my life and your life, we doubt. Isn't that odd? Because God doesn't change in, in those two circumstances, when tragedy strikes someone else, I doubt. When tragedy strikes my or when tragedy strikes someone else, I pray. When tragedy strikes my life, I doubt. Just like John was doubting in the dungeon. Isn't that odd? So John's disciples get to Jesus and they've been waiting in line for hours and, and they pull out their smartphones and, and they're like, Hey Jesus, we're John's disciples, your cousin. Yeah. Um, we've got a question for you. You know that John's in the dungeon, right? And Jesus is like, Yeah. And they say, Okay, well, John wanted us to ask you a question, and and he's gonna ask you. And so he, <laughs> he's like, Okay, thanks, buddy. Um, so he pulls out his phone, and he's like, Okay, Jesus, John was just wondering. And Jesus is like, hey, guys, I'm the son of God, but come on, you got to help me out a little bit. He's like, "Okay, Jesus, this is just weird and awkward and and everybody's standing here listening. But we're just wondering, well, not us, we know, but John is wondering, are you the son of God or should we be looking for someone else? And Jesus doesn't do this. He doesn't drop the mic and raise his hands and he's like, yeah, I'm the one. Of course I am. Duh. I mean, come on. You know it's me. Look at everybody. Look at all of these people. Look what I've done. Has anyone else walked on water besides Peter? But he only did for a little while. And then he's saying, I mean, come on. Yes, of course. I'm the son of God. Do you know how many people I just fed with five loaves and two fish? I mean, who else is going to do that? Of course I'm the son of God. Jesus he doesn't do that, nor does he do this. He doesn't say, hey, guys, come here. I want to tell you a secret. Come here. You go back and you tell John, I'm going to break in there tonight, and we're going to bust him out. Hashtag prison break. And, and we're going to bust him out, and we're going to write on the wall, ha-ha, Herod, Jesus was here. What's up? He, he doesn't say that either, does he? That's not, in any, that's not in the message, NIV, King New, King James, nothing. L- listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 4. It says, Jesus replied, go back and report to John whatever what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cured, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor." And they're texting it in their phone. They're making notes. Okay, Jesus, we'll go back and tell them. And this is just Michael Escamilla. This isn't, in, the, the verses is in the Bible, but this is my imagination. I imagine them walking away, and Jesus says, hey, guys, hold on. And he says this last verse to them. He says, and tell John, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Hold on, Jesus. Okay. I got the lame walk, the blind see, the gospels preached to the poor, the dead are raised. Okay, I got all of that. But blessed is the, the man or the person who doesn't fall away on account of you. Hold on, Jesus. Are you saying that you're going to allow situations and circumstances in our life that might make us fall away? Jesus, you, you know John is rotting in the dungeon for doing what is right, mm-hmm. and you're not going to save him? No. Okay, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, you're mad at John, right? When he was baptizing you, he held you under a little bit too long. He was holding, get down there. Is that, Jesus, is that what happened? Is this, are you upset with him because he grew facial hair before you guys when you were hanging out together as cousins and he had a beard before you had a beard or he's eating that locust and honey and all of that? I mean, what, what is it, Jesus? And listen to what Jesus says. He says in, in verse 11, I tell you the truth. Among those born of a woman, which would include all of us in this room, am- among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So go and tell John, I'm not mad at him. That's that's not why he's staying in prison. I'm not upset with him. I'm not angry with him. In fact, I think he's one of the greatest men to ever live. But Jesus, you're not gonna rescue him? No. And tell him he's blessed if he doesn't fall away on account of me. And church, there's some of you in here this morning, you need to hear that. Because you've equated your circumstances and the situations that you're facing right now with how God feels about you. You think God is mad at you. In fact, some of you came in here today and you haven't come to church in a really, really, really long time because you think God's upset with you. You think because of some sin or mistake that you've made in your past or or something that's gone on in your previous marriage or something that went on while you were in college or something that went on in your life that you've tried to hide or, or that you've kind of kept concealed, you think God's mad at you, and he's not. In fact, one of the most famous verses in the Bible say this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, That whosoever believes in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. Why? Because God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. God isn't mad at you, church. God's not mad at you. In fact, he loves you. He loves you enough that he was willing to give his life for you. And just because your circumstances and just because your situations and just because your marriage isn't working out the way that you want it to and just because you can't find work and just because it seems like everything seems to be falling apart around you, that is not how God feels about you. He loves you. He loves you. I love that song that Brent let us in earlier, the cornerstone. When everything else seems to be, when the storms of life come and they seem to be blowing us over, God is our cornerstone. He's our firm foundation in times of trouble that we can count upon. And so the story doesn't end well for John. All of you know, if you've grown up around church, you know the end of the story. John's in the dungeon and Herod and his friends, they're throwing this party and it's some kind of party because one of Herodias' daughters from a previous marriage comes in, comes into the party and all of Herod and all of his friends, they're getting tipsy. They're, they've been drinking for a little bit and Salome does this dance, some kind of dance in front of Herod and all of his friends All the way to the point where Herod says this, Salome, I'll give you anything in my kingdom, up to half of my kingdom, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And Salome does something that not a lot of teenage girls would do. She says, let me go ask my mom. (laughs) So she goes and she asks Herodias, mom, I did this dance, and and Herod said he'll give me anything up to half of the kingdom. What should I ask him for? I mean, Herod's probably thinking, I mean, what's she going to ask for? Taylor Swift tickets? A new smartphone? Tickets to go see Justin Bieber? I mean, what is it? What's she going to ask for? And Herodias says, you go tell him that you want the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter right now. So she goes back and she tells Herod, and Herod's drunk, but he doesn't want to lose face in front of all of his friends, in front of all of his entourage, so what does he do? He gives the command to his soldiers and says, go and cut off John's head and bring it to her. And John lost his life that night. And not too long after this church, a group of religious leaders that are jealous of a man by the name of Jesus would conspire and would work the system to where they're gonna have Jesus arrested. And Jesus, even Jesus, even the Son of God says, hey, God, if there's any other way to do this, Lord, if there's any other way to save humanity, if there's any other way to go about this, God, please, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, whatever you wanna do, God. Three times, Jesus goes and prays to God. And can I tell you something, church? God didn't move one inch off of his throne when John's head rolled on that dungeon floor. And do you know what? God didn't move one inch off of his throne whenever Jesus was crucified on a cross between two thieves. Even though it would seem like God was inattentive, uncooperative, or late, God was being faithful. Brent, if you and the worship team can go ahead and make your way back up here, I just... I want to share one last story. There, there's a, a guy by the name of Nick Vavoyevich. Many of you probably have heard his stories. He's been on national TV before. And, and Nick was born without any arms or legs. I think we've got a picture of him, and it's kind of there. It's, I'm there. It's there. Um, but Nick, he, he was born without any arms or legs. And so just imagine the life that he had to live growing up, walking through that type of situation and circumstance. And and Nick was actually born into a Christian home, Christian family. In all of Nick's life, he would pray to God, and he would say, God, would you please grow my arms and my legs back out? God, would you, would you please grow my arms and my legs back out? Because if you did, if you did that, imagine the testimony. Imagine what people would say. Imagine the, the glory that you would receive, Jesus, if you grew my arms back out, if you grew my legs back out. But that never happened. And so imagine the ridicule and the bullying and the name-calling and the taunting that Nick received all of his growing up years of his life, all the way into adulthood, to where Nick finally said, I'm just gonna take my life. I'm just gonna end it. And he he, he actually tells the story of him trying to take his own life because he, he just he couldn't take it anymore because God was inattentive, uncooperative, and late in Nick's life. And he said, I'm done, God, I, I just can't do it. And then Nick tells the story of one day when he finally came to the realization and where he said, okay, God, if this is from you or if this is gonna be my life, if this is, if this is how I'm gonna live for the rest of my life, then." then I wanna surrender my life to you, all of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And God, whatever you wanna do with me, I'm willing to do whatever you ask me to do. And now Nick travels all over the world. His book, Life Without Limits, has been published in multiple languages. He's been on any array of talk show hosts and people, and every time, he's in front of a camera, Nick will say this, it's because of Jesus Christ that I can sit here in front of you today. And when I seemed hopeless and when all seemed lost and when, when it seemed like God had forgotten about me and everything was gone, I realized how blessed I actually was. And Nick travels all over the world and he lifts up the name of Jesus. In church, I want to remind you this morning what Jesus told John. You're blessed. 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 Even when it feels like God has forgotten about you, even when it feels like God has abandoned you, even when it feels like God is absent, I want to remind you this morning what he told John. You're blessed if you don't fall away on account of Jesus. That he's right there with you in your dungeon. That he's right there with you in your broken marriage. That he's right there with you when your kids are driving you crazy. He's right there with you when your finances are turned upside down. He is with you, church. And he will never leave you. And he will never forsake you. And so I just want to remind you of that. You're blessed this morning. When all seems lost, you're blessed. If just for a moment, and we're going to close right now, we're we're going to end here. But if you could just bow your head just for a moment and close your eyes, just out of reverence for this moment. And if you don't want to do that, that's fine. You don't have to. But just out of reverence for this moment. And my question just for you this morning, church, is simply this. If that's you, and you're going through it right now, you're going through that feeling of, is God real? Is this even worth it? And you've been questioning and wondering. You feel like, John, God, I've done A, B, and C, but you haven't done D, E, and F, and I thought you said you were gonna do that, but you haven't. Are you really who you said you were? And sometimes it feels like your pain is too overwhelming to bear. And I just want to include you in this closing prayer this morning just to remind you that God says you're blessed even in the midst of that. So if that's you, you're feeling that way this morning, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. We're not going to, have, we're not going to ask you any questions or ask you to share with everybody. I'm just asking you to slip your hand up right now and then you can put it right back down. Anyone, anybody, thank you. Thank you. You can put it right back down. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. In the balcony, I see that. Thank you very much. Anyone else? Thank you. Let me pray for us this morning. God, I thank you so much for keeping this story for us for over 2,000 years to remind us that you are the God who sees every tear, you know every pain, every broken heart, every frustration, every argument, every hurt, every betrayal, you see it all. And you're with us. You know our grief and our pain. And God, I pray for every person who's in there here this morning that's raised their hand and saying, God, I'm I'm at the end of my rope, I don't know where else to turn. Lord, I pray that they would remember how blessed they are. What you've done in your faithfulness in the past, how you've kept them, how you've saved them, how you've brought them through in the past, Lord, and that you will be with them again, over and over. And God, I pray that you would remind them you're not mad at them, but that you love them with an unfailing love. They're your sons, they're your daughters. And there's no sin, there's no mistake that they could ever commit to make you love them any less. So God, I pray that you would remind them of that today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, Brent's gonna lead us in this final song. Will you stand with me? And let's just make this our song. Let's make this our anthem today before we're dismissed to remind ourselves that, God, you're our cornerstone. You're the one that we've built our lives upon, not ourselves, our situations, our circumstances, but it's through you, Christ. You're the unmoving foundation in our lives. Brent, will you lead us?